Welcome to B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper, brought to you by True. For too long, B2B has lacked creativity and inspiration, leading to alarming declines in effectiveness and marketing departments being slowly devalued more and more within their organizations. We're here to change that by getting under the skin of what it really means to be a highly effective B2B marketer. We'll be speaking to some of the brightest minds in the industry to discuss what they're doing to be a bit more, well, Don Draper. And now, here's your host, Stuart Black. Joining us today for B2B Needs Don Draper are Richard Parsons and Martin Harrison, co-founder and strategy director at True. And we catch them fresh from the excitement of Can 2022, which finished the week before last. We thought it'd only be right to bring them back on the show to talk about what they've learned so far from the event, which has been something of a landmark since it's the first time there's been an award for B2B creativity, and I'm sure we'll get into that. So Richard and Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thank you. Richard, I know it was your first time there. So what were your impressions? What struck you the most? Well, it's crazy. Um, it's uh, phenomenal. I think that in B2B, we're used to other award ceremonies and, um, and it's all, they're all actually relatively low key. Uh, Can Lions is on a scale that is um, just absolutely ginormous. There, of course, there's the awards element to to the whole thing. Um, and in the, the, the main uh, palais in, in Cannes, you've got all of the sideshows, all the different talks that are going on. And then you've got a showcase of the actual work. But then across the front, uh, along the beaches where all the, the hotels are, each hotel has their own private beach. And each one of those is effectively sublet to some sort of ginormous brand like Microsoft, Yahoo, uh, Google, etc. And they all take these spaces and then put on parties or put on uh, different events. So the whole thing is a week long. And it's actually just it is very much a festival as they describe it. And I would say it's kind of a bit of a party for the industry. Very glamorous, and it explains the tan as well. Martin, what was your experience like? Uh, yeah, it was lovely. I haven't been for a long time. So it was really nice for everybody to be back together and looking at work and talking about work rather than, you know, kind of the pandemic or what's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was kind of a big focus on the creativity and the work, which was wonderful. It seemed bigger to me than it has been in the past. I think there's just a lot more stuff going on. You've got everything that's going on in the main palais. And then as Richard said, you've got all the various brands doing their own kind of off-Broadway, if that's the right analogy, their, um, their own kind of like little agendas and so on. And so you had like kind of talks going on everywhere. So many people bumped into a lot of old friends and people that I used to work with. And then there's always the, um, the gutter bar at two o'clock in the morning, which is where you, you really get to make some <laughs> very useful future business contacts. So yeah, it was, it was wonderful to be back actually. Oh, oh yeah, it's all business, Martin. That's right. It is, it? yes, absolutely. I don't, <laughs> I'm sure the gutter bar is where you'd find Don Draper as well. Yes. <laughs> so do you want to tell us then why was this year's uh, Can Lion so important for everyone involved in B2B marketing? Yeah, of course, because it's the first time that they ran uh, the B2B line. So they created a whole kind of subset. They'd previously uh, done it for pharmaceutical marketing, but this time they'd kind of carved out a whole uh, kind of separate set of awards for B2B brands. So uh, obviously, they are the pinnacle of creativity, celebrating creativity around the world. Um, and to have its own dedicated space for B2B, I think that really kind of demonstrates it's taken a while, taken a few decades, but it's kind of demonstrated that actually I think we're in a golden era of B2B and we're starting to find that other, other people outside of the B2B space are starting to recognize that as well. And if that's the, the first time they've done it, then was it a success? What work tended to get recognition? Well, it was interesting. So I think um, 
kind of the two of the main things that I would say came out from the B2B lines. And actually, the, um, uh, one of the judges wrote an article afterwards that kind of highlighted this was um, the stuff that gets rewarded tends to be uh, have a huge amount of craft and a huge amount of commitment behind it. So um, the thing that really stood out, the things that won Grand Prix, the things that um, won all the big prizes were executed at a very, very high level of craft. And that's something that it was kind of called out that B2B generally lacks that level of kind of dedication to execution. Uh, so that was, I think, a lot of people that I spoke to, a lot of people from B2B world were kind of looking at that and going, oh, wow, the, the bar here is actually really, really very high. Um, and the second thing is that you'd be very lucky. It would have to be quite an exceptional piece of work or quite an exceptional single campaign or execution um, that would win something. It tends to reward creativity that is committed to, that's delivered over a period of time, over multiple campaigns, that builds a real business benefit, which takes a little bit of time and a little bit of return. So I think those were the two things that really, really came out, a focus on really executing at the highest possible level. And secondly, um, thinking about, you know, kind of creativity as a long-term brand level commitment as opposed to an individual execution or individual campaign. And you mentioned before that there was a focus on social purpose, which is obviously good for the world, but is that also the most effective for clients' objectives and business? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think the jury's still out. Um, there is starting to become some empirical evidence around purpose to say that it can be effective, but then there's a lot of other evidence that suggests that purpose isn't. Um, my take on it is that in marketing, the whole, nearly everything we try to do is to be different, um, you know, stand out and to, to, to be the unusual, uh, you know, to be the purple cow, to be the, the thing that, that people haven't seen before. And then I think as soon as people jump on a bandwagon, and I think that purpose might be a trend, um, that as you jump on that bandwagon and you create something for a particular focus group and a particular, a particular segment of, you know, an underprivileged part of society, for example, and then, and then your competitor brand does it, and then another brand does it in another category, then ultimately everybody's kind of chasing after the same proposition, the same message, the same ultimately supporting a purpose, if not the same purpose. Uh, and therefore, I think it starts to become kind of anti-marketing. Uh, I don't know that we've got to that point just yet. I'm not suggesting that there isn't a space for purpose campaigns. But when 90% of all the winners, not just the B2B lions, but 90% of the uh, winning awards down in Cannes were something to do with purpose-driven, I think you're starting to see that trend start to be too dominant about. Interesting. Martin? I would say in some cases, it, it kind of depends on the execution. I think there's kind of an old joke that everybody kind of tells that one of the things about Cannes is it doesn't really seem to like advertising. It doesn't really seem to like selling stuff. Um, so kind of, you know, the bigger ideas, they tend, tend to be very seduced by technology, for example, or kind of, you know, clever technology things or new products and stuff like that, which can be creative. I'm not saying they're not, but, um, you know, kind of use, using a traditional format in a really excellent way is not necessarily going to be your best way to do a clean sweep. But there was a couple of examples of where purpose was used very much in service of the product. So I think Richard might talk about Husk. I think it was Husk, which was a, a ride-sharing app that, that launched in Belgium. And obviously, ride-sharing is very crowded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they identified a need, which was um, children with special needs who were being bused to schools. And in some cases, they were on a bus for like two to four hours a day. And they identified that actually a ride-sharing approach would mean that these kids got to school an awful lot more, uh, an awful lot more quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, really good example of what it really was, was a product demonstration. 
Right. But it was, you know, kind of, they did a huge amount of social good. They changed the government policy. They established themselves. They got huge amounts of coverage, et cetera. So that type of situation where there's a very clear overlap between what your product is doing and can do and a, you know, kind of making a positive change in the world. I think that that works quite well. There were the others that were a little bit unmoored, shall we say. Right. So it has to be sort of well integrated rather than just a, a bit of gloss at the end to, to make it feel like it's a worthy project. Yeah. Well, let me think we work in advertising, right? We want to sell stuff. So I think where you can look at something and go, that's a really, really excellent way of selling your product or service. Brilliant. If you look at it and go, I'm, it's lovely and it's great that you did it, but I'm not 100% sure how it's selling more things than if you hadn't done it. I think that's which is not to say don't do it. It's just it's not necessarily advertising. Yeah, I think and I think I think in, in addition to that, you've got a lot of kind of corporate sponsorship of good. And I think that there's a lot of kind of you know greenwashing, pinkwashing, blackwashing. You know, all the different washings that are going on at the moment. And I and I think that, that sometimes they can come across as a bit vacuous. You know, they're not relevant. And, and I I think that there is a danger that some brands are kind of falling into that trap. And how then do you think the event and everything you saw there will influence True's approach in the future? Yeah, well, what's interesting is we, you know, we've talked a little bit about purpose there, and Martin um, talked a little bit about technology and how that might be kind of over-indexing in terms of the winning, winning, uh, uh, the, the winning work down there. But I think that there is a kind of um, this idea of you know what is advertising, what is marketing it's kind of becoming very elastic. And I think that some of the ideas down there, some of them were advertising ideas, but a a lot of them, I would say, kind of like started to look like product extension. So an example there would be uh, Pinatex, which um, won a gold. Uh, That's for Dole. Uh, uh, The Dole, the people who make the uh, uh, tin pineapple, canned pineapple. Um, And um, the the leaves of the pineapple, can, when they um, deteriorate, they can cause real kind of environmental damage by releasing CO2 into the air. Um, and so they wanted to see, could they do something with those? And so then they worked with the Ananas Anum, I think they're called, and uh, they created a, uh, a vegan leather, which was also a good thing because most vegan leathers are made out of plastic, so they're not particularly environmentally friendly. But this was something that was completely, you know, 100% natural. And then they got 100, uh, over 200 brands, I think it was, to, to actually take this um, raw material, this leather, and make something out of it, you know, so people were making uh, trainers or bags or whatever, or coats or whatever the things were, were out of those, you know, clothing items and, and apparel out of uh, this, this material. You know, but is that an advertising idea? It's certainly a social good idea. I would argue maybe that's a business model mm. that they that they implemented there, and that becomes that became a winner. Um, Martin just talked about Husk, and I think in the UK you might think of them as kind of minivans and taxis, a little bit like um, oh gosh, what's the I've forgotten the name of the brand I was going to mention. Addison Lee. Addison Lee, exactly. Well done. Yeah, they're kind of like they're <laughs> Addison Lee with little minivans. And they had sort of excess capacity and they thought, well, what should we do with this? Let's do some social good. So there's a social good element to what they do. But as Martin says, that's absolutely 100% uh, product demo. But the real purpose for them was to share the data and to share the story with government so that the government would then fund, you know, the state would end up funding, uh, getting these uh, kids with special needs to, to schools. Some of them were traveling up to six hours a day, you know, on a bus 
it's ridiculous because you can imagine that there's a disparate amount of kids in, in you know in terms of geography geography they're all kind of in different places and then there are these specialist schools that they have to go to so they end up traveling you know way earlier and some of them have got pretty you know really severe health um, issues and getting up at you know five six o'clock in the morning just so they can go to school and pretty much having no life because of it so they were solving a real a real uh, a real deal there and i think that that is that is actually a good example of social good but kind of embedding it and i think that is marketing um again it's not advertising but i think that is a marketing approach of course they're telling that story which is is advertising and then there's i'm um, down in brazil there's mercado uh, Livre, i think uh, i think they're called they're the largest e-commerce platform down in brazil and they they really support small businesses um and then they uh so they put out they wanted to support black businesses um and um and so they took some of the uh, hip-hop tropes and they kind of put out uh, effectively a track uh, using a lot of the tropes where normally people would brag about, you know, their Gucci's or or their whatever brands that they know, Balenciaga, this and that. You know, they would be bragging about the, the brands they have. And all they did is they just replaced those brands with these um, brands that weren't really known, but effectively black business brands that would be replaced in uh, in that song. So uh, so that was kind of like done in a fun way. And I think that is advertising. But I think certainly some of the, the, the Grand Prix was Sherwin Williams, which is a brand I don't know, I'm afraid, uh, but they do paints. And uh, they they did a, they created a, an app that took three years to develop, which was speaking in color. So basically, like a Siri type technology where you could use natural language and you could describe the color you wanted, and then it would from their palette it would suggest the um, the color that would be the best match. Um, and so, in, to my mind, that's very much kind of like product extension, helping mm-hmm. people pick pick a pick a color. Um, I can see how it fits into marketing, but I could also see very easily how that could fit into product. Um, onto the product side of things rather than marketing communications. So, yeah, it's interesting. Can has definitely kind of opened my eyes. And therefore, I think our future and how it will affect our work is we have to understand that, that for, to win in Can, you have to be broader than just communications. Not always, but in a lot of cases, you have to do a lot of performance. Performance is definitely over-indexes. And anything that uses AI or uh, is a technology or is a product extension or is a business model, those things tend to be very well out down there. And, and something that creates a lot of sharing in the marketplace, you know, that, that, that really creates a lot of viral sharing or a lot of PR pickup, that stuff wins down there as well. Fascinating. So between the yacht parties, then you must have popped into a few talks as well. Uh, what was the best one you attended, Martin? Um, the, actually, the, the, I should say the the InBev uh, won the the advertiser of the year, um, and the CMO and CEO picked up the prize. That was really interesting. Actually, it was very inspiring because, to your point about learning from Cam, they said one of the biggest things that they did as an organisation was they flew all their senior marketers from around the world to Cam every year. Uh, so that they could see the type of work that was winning and be inspired by it, right. and then you know, kind of they, they they went back to their various countries and produced that type of work. So it's very inspiring in that sense that you kind of see where people's heads are at, and you start to think in those terms, and that worked really really well for InBev. But the best talk was uh, Ryan Reynolds, simply for the fact that kind of you know the, he spoke about a few things and so on, but um, kind of towards the, he said two things. One was he said he absolutely loves making ads. Um, and he's delighted that he's able to do it at such a scale and has got a production company that does it and so on. And the second thing was that he said, um, this should be fun. It's good fun. Advertising is fun. And he kind of like did a, exhorted the audience to you know, remember that, you know, we're supposed to be enjoying ourselves doing this. That's why we're not management consultants. So that was quite inspiring. It kind of reminded me, yeah, I can have fun. <laughs> Bit of stardust in can. And what was the best work that you saw overall? Oof, I mean, you see so much. 
Within the B2B category, the things I particularly liked, so uh, a song for every CMO, which was a Spotify campaign where they looked at the data. They um, So obviously they're trying to build an advertising platform. Uh, so they looked at the data for CMOs of major organizations and looked at what type of music genres they liked. And then they wrote a song for that CMO in that genre and sent them a, a, a record with a QR code that then linked them to that song. Very, very clever, very, very tightly targeted, very, you know, kind of in the olden days, you would have done like, you know, um, high value DM to get into the CMO. But this was like kind of a different way of doing it. I thought it was very, very clever. Um, absolutely loved Apple Escape the Office. Um, it got kind of a craft prize, but I thought it was better than that. I thought it was one of the best kind of product demonstration videos that you will see. So I thought that was excellent. I really loved uh, the one that Richard mentioned, Black Business Beats. I thought that was really, really clever. Um, and the coverage it got and the response that it got was really strong. But I think probably my favorite, we've spoken about it already, uh, Husk. And actually on the closing party while, while in the middle of the dance floor, we met uh, the young creative who uh, worked on that, who'd, who'd won her lion for it, and um, which was lovely to meet her as well. She was absolutely delighted with herself, as she should be. But I just think it's the perfect confluence of very well executed, a very clever product demonstration, a very strong social good story, huge amounts of, of earned media off the back of it. I think it just, just kind of ticked every box. And um, I would have said maybe if I would have been on the jury, I would have pushed for that to be the Grand Prix um, above and beyond speaking in colour. Mm, great stuff. Yeah, the one that I liked um, for Yell down in Australia, I think it was, um, is either Australia or New Zealand, I think it was Australia, um, where they had, they need, Yell, Yellow Pages have moved obviously from print, from catalogues to digital marketing services where they can provide lots of, you know, search, websites, that sort of thing. In fact, we work with them in the UK. Um, they're a very disparate organization. They're not kind of connected necessarily um, even, even through ownership, but they had similar propositions and they uh, needed to, to educate the world, to educate the world's merchants that, that, that um, their services had moved on. And so they took a character that was famous and part of popular culture in Australian culture. And she was known for um, owning a underwear company, a kind of like lingerie company. And so they took this this fictitious character um, and with the actress uh, heading up with the actress's name, they built a company and launched a, a range of lingerie. And then they sold it um, to, 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 to consumers using the tools of, um, of Yell. So all of the marketing and all the tools of, of Yell were used to market this, this brand. And what I really liked about it is it's product demo. It's kind of definitely does that repositioning piece. Um, they raised thirty thousand uh, dollars for. Um, they actually sold some lingerie as well. Thirty thousand dollars for um, for charity, but it was the it was the um, the way that the story got picked up and it ended up being kind of headline news. Uh, it was then covered in lots and lots of press, lots of social media comments, and it's that sharing piece that I really liked about it. And I think we're in that modern connected world, and I think that communications and work that that, that we do should have that shareability in it. And I think that was a really good example of, uh, of someone who's done that well in B2B. Great stuff. Before we wrap up then, Martin, I just wanted to come back to you. We recently had Isabel Seater Lumsden on the show, head of B2B marketing at TikTok, a platform that some might say is underused by B2B marketers currently. She talked about the Sage campaign, which was a great example of what B2B marketers can do on that platform. That was the campaign you worked on. Uh, if I'm correct, tell us more about that. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, we um, kind of did a, a, a relaunch of Sage in the UK. So Sage make um, uh, financial and accounting software for small and medium enterprises, which doesn't sound particularly exciting. But um, the whole campaign that we did was based around the idea that um, people set up small businesses so that they feel in control 
um, of their lives. And so um, uh, the kind of the Bossit campaign was bringing that idea of feeling in control to life. So once you've got Sage, you're back in control of your business, back in control of your life. And it translated, the reason it translated really, really well to TikTok is, I mean, first of all, there's a huge amount of kind of small, TikTok is very, very diverse, actually. People tend to think of it as just as, you know, kind of teenage dance crazes and all that type of stuff. But actually, it's an incredibly diverse platform. And the algorithm works really well in, in finding kind of the right audience, etc. But that whole kind of, it was almost a little bit of that culture of like, you know, the side hustle, like kind of not the side hustle, but you know, the hustle, like I've set up my own business, like I'm building something for myself, all that type of stuff. It really tapped into that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And um, we worked with uh, TikTok and we kind of said, you know, they said it's as simple as just putting something out saying, tell us how you bossed it in 2021. And we got literally hundreds of thousands of, of video responses where people would just film them because it's only like 15 seconds, right? We're not, it's not a high bar to participation. And people would just go kind of, you know, set up my own um, shop, got my premises, bossing it, got an office, bossing it, bought my second van, bossing it. Even like kind of, you know, got my first customer bossing it. And it just was a really easy thing to do. And then because of the way the algorithm works and kind of feeds back, it became, um, I think we got 1.2 billion views in the end, just from kind of the way that it get kind of, kind of optimized. So yeah, it was, it was really, really good. It was very, very eye-opening because um, I'd always kind of said, when we talked about influencer strategies for Sage, I always kind of said the, the influencer strategy should be at a higher level, right? Let's not find influencers in the world of finance because, you know, let's be honest, how interesting are they going to be? But everybody who is an influencer is a small business. And so they all need, so let's, you know, Sage can be the software of choice for any influencer who is starting to get paid for doing that job. And it kind of, from that thought, we kind of got into, well, Let's, you know, kind of get, get involved in TikTok and places where those influencers are. And it, yeah, it worked really, really well. I think their approach to B2B is very good, very well considered. Um, I like it a lot. Well, I think we'll be looking to use them as much as we can. Well, very clever. And congrats on that. Everyone's after a billion views. So well done with that one. I know. Yeah. And we got it by accident, <laughs> <laughs> which is how it usually happens, I think. Absolutely. Just wrapping up then, looking at CAN 2022 overall, what it represents, what do you think Don Draper would have made of it? Martin? I think ironically, Don Draper would have been disappointed because the Carlton Hotel is being refurbished and won't open again until 2024, I think. So obviously the Carlton Hotel and the Carlton Terrace and having Rose and Carlton Terrace is a, is, is a key part of the entire Cannes experience. It wasn't available this year, unfortunately. So uh, <laughs> I think would have been his takeaway. And Richard, if you could have had a, a martini with Don, what, what, what do you think you would have been chatting about? Well, of course, the one thing that we all know, we, I loved on for loads of reasons, but of course, the one thing that oh, we always do get pushback on this uh, webinar series is really that misogynist, that, you know, that racist, that there's a lot of things that he is um, of his era. I think that he would be, I think that, that the advertising industry has got a long, a long way to go before it fixes some of these problems, but I think that he would be shocked how far we've come. <laughs> good note to end our can 22 wrap up on but before we go just finally uh what can we expect from this show moving forward uh and who would you really like to get on <laughs> well there's lots of brands i would like to get on but this is with b2b marketing is um nearly always most most webinars are around sales activation the bottom end of the funnel there's an, a lot of conversation around um nurturing and abm and the platforms, we try to avoid talking about most of that because there's a lot of it already out there. 
We think that there's just a rebalancing that's needed away from sales activation and more towards brand. So this webinar series is all about that, that brand piece. So what I would say is rather than specifying any brands, I'd say if there are, are any B2B marketers that have got any really, really interesting um, brand stories that they would want to, to, to talk about, because it's supposed to be about the practice, not just the theory. We want people to come with their e examples. If there are any, then please reach out to me at richard at trueagency.com. And, uh, you know, we would be delighted to have you on the show. Fantastic. All it leaves me to say then is uh, Richard Parsons, Martin Harrison, thanks so much for a great can catch up. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Stuart Black. See you all next time on B2B Needs Don Draper. <laughs>